Welcome to Bible study. Good to see you. We got some Bible studying to do tonight, so we'll get started. And uh, let's pray and ask God's blessing on our time. Father, thanks for uh, just the opportunity to gather in the name of Jesus, and we thank you that you teach us uh, by your Holy Spirit. I pray that your Holy Spirit would. Uh, just bring revelation to our lives tonight. I ask that we would have ears to hear. I pray that our spirit, our, our heart, our mind would be open to receive. And ask God that you would pour out into our midst. Uh, God, I pray for change. I pray for challenge tonight. I ask you, Lord, that this be a time where uh, we just draw closer to you. And I pray that during this time you'd be glorified. I ask you, God, that you move by the power and anointing of your Holy Spirit. We ask things in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright. If you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to the book of Nehemiah. Going back to Nehemiah again tonight. Nehemiah chapter 9. Reminder. Uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com that's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study all one word you go there to that webpage and there's a button that you can toggle and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail and we'd love to hear from you could be just saying hi or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. One thing I'll add to our podcast listeners, uh, if you'd be willing to do that is wherever you hear our podcast if you're willing to uh, to go in and rate the podcast wherever that is if you're listening to it on iTunes or uh, whatever it happens to be whatever platform that you're using for uh, the podcast uh, please if you're willing to go there and give us a good rating on that and we'd really appreciate that that opens up opportunity for more people to actually see the podcast and to possibly listen to it. So uh, we're just really excited about all the people, uh, different parts of the world that listen to the podcast and we want to just make sure that we open up that opportunity for as many people as possible. Nehemiah chapter 9, I need a volunteer to read verse 20. Alright, thanks for reading that. Uh, This is all part of the same 
prayer that was uh, being prayed the last time that we looked into Nehemiah earlier into chapter 9. Uh, it's still uh, remembering God's faithfulness to the people of Israel as they moved across the wilderness and how He is a God of mercy, grace, love. He takes care of His people. And it's just a recognition of that. It's a recognition that even though they were in a process of some of them needing to confess, some of them needing to ask God's forgiveness and cleansing over their lives, it's also a recognition of God's mercy and grace and love and a celebration of who He is. In this particular verse, uh, they're, they're talking about the God sending His Spirit to teach them. And, you know, you think about they were in the wilderness for 40 years when they left Egypt and they were crossing over uh, they were in uh, this is a whole different time frame but they're in uh, Babylon for 70 years uh, they were, had returned back to Israel and so uh, these were long haul times that uh, they had been away from where they had come from uh, they, they were in Egypt for 400 years and so uh, it was through these uh, through these interactions that they saw God as being the God who loves them, the God who takes care of them, the God who has mercy on them, the God who looks out for them, the God who protects them, the God who provides for their every need. And so they're recognizing that. And they're using this historical reference to when they crossed the wilderness from Egypt and they were heading to the Promised Land, they're heading to Canaan. They use this as a historical reference to this is God taking care of us. Now, using the idea, and I want you to hear this for a second, using this idea of the Holy Spirit being our teacher, this is the only place in the Old Testament you see that. This is it. This is the one reference to that in the Old Testament. And the idea behind that is that this is forward-facing. Now, you've heard me say this a number of times over the last few weeks, few months. This is very forward-facing toward the New Testament, toward the Gospel. But that's the nature of the prophetic. That's the nature of, of God speaking through the prophets. Is that it's very forward-facing. It's looking ahead. and It's looking forward to uh, the work of Jesus. It's looking forward to the work that is going to be done through the gospel into our lives, really facing forward, not only just until the time of Jesus, but beyond that. I mean, we're 2,000 years beyond that, and it's still forward-facing even to us now. And so this Old Testament passage, I mean, it's Nehemiah, they're, they're praying, but there's something really prophetic about what's happening here. There's something that is speaking to the Spirit. It's speaking through the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit speaking through these people. And, and it's looking forward to something that God was going to do. It's looking forward to what He's doing right now. And, and I think it's imperative we take hold of that and really recognize it for what it is. You hear words, 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 and... You hear things like, oh, well, God says this. Okay, yeah, but how does that apply to your life? How have you applied that to your life? It's one thing to say, oh, God healed. Well, then we need to believe Him for healing. Or to say, God delivers, then we need to believe Him for deliverance. I mean, it applies to our lives. 
And so I want to encourage you that as we're looking at this, say, well, the Holy Spirit, God gives His Spirit to teach us. Well, what have you learned from His Spirit recently? And I just really want you to consider that. I want you to think about that. You know, how has the Holy Spirit taught you recently? And and I don't want you just to say, well, you know, He, he speaks through teachers or He speaks through... Uh, pastors or something like that. I, I don't want you just to say that. I want you to really consider how God has taught you by His good Spirit that He's poured out. Because as you look at that, you have to consider that, you know, back in, in, in the days when this was being written, I mean, these people had nothing. They had nothing. And there wasn't really a huge organization of people to really teach them at this point. And so they had to depend on God to teach them. I often use the, I cite the example of China, how they don't even have whole Bibles, and, and they haven't for years in China, and yet the Holy Spirit has taught them and raised up a church in the millions in China. But they have nothing else. And so they depend on the Holy Spirit to teach them. They depend on the Holy Spirit to bring revelation. They depend on the Holy Spirit to lead them in the truth. And and so even in the in the New Testament church you think about, you know, how long was it before there was any part of the New Testament written? Well, it was years and years and years. And churches had been established already. And and pastors had been raised up. And deacons had been appointed in these churches and these churches were actually teaching and preaching on a regular basis and reaching new people and people were coming to know Jesus all without the benefit of any New Testament. Not one. And yet, they still were taught. Yet, they still had revelation coming their way. And so, I want you to consider that God does things this way, and it's okay. Things don't have to be done within a certain organizational structure. Things don't have to be done within the way that they've been done, that you're used to. Like maybe, you know, you start thinking in terms of there weren't any catechism classes. You start thinking in terms of there weren't any Sunday schools. Sunday school didn't start until the 1800s. All right? And we can thank the Wesleys for that. And it, I think Sunday school is awesome, but they, they didn't start it until, like, really the 1800s. We don't even use Sunday school in this church. And so there, there were other ways that the Holy Spirit has taught over the years, over the millennia. And so we have to be open. Like, God, how do you want to teach me? How do you want to reveal to me? And really have an open spirit about that. Have an open heart. Have an open mind about how maybe God wants to reveal himself to you. How he wants to teach you. How he wants to show you something that you need to see. Because God knows what you need to hear. God knows what you need to see. God knows what you need to respond to better than I ever will or any, the closest person in your life ever will, whoever that person is, definitely, definitely knows better than I do. And so because of that, I think he's primary to really our understanding. He's primary to our learning. He's primary to our growth. He's primary to the revelation that we receive. And we have to depend on him for that. But that may take a shifting 
in the way that you see things. That may take a shifting in how you're going to choose to understand His role in your life. A lot of times we look at the Holy Spirit and His role and is really largely undefined in our lives. It's almost like we ignore Him. You know, we recognize He's part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We all know that. But what does He really do? What does He do for you? And you can think, well, I've got the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Alright, good. Let Him flow through you that way. And that is an important part of who He is. But He has other roles in our lives. He does other things in our lives. And for us to leave Him like mostly undefined is really not understanding why Jesus sent Him. I mean, He's the Comforter. When was the last time He comforted you? When did you look to Him as a primary comforter in your life recently? Do you think about that? He's an advocate for you. That means He stands up for you. He looks out for your best interests. He represents you. I mean, have you depended on Him for that? Are you, that's part of His role for us. That's part of who He is. And and so all of these things, is, as God reveals that work, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit for us. He sent the Holy Spirit for us. I mean, you read in Acts uh, 10.38, it talks about how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power. And he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. And so, if he required, which he did, the Holy Spirit, to go about doing good and healing people who were oppressed of the devil, if he required that, how much more do we require that? If you think about it. We look at Jesus and say, oh, well, he's our example. Yeah, he is. But how was that example? How was he empowered? How was he sent forth to do the stuff he did? By the power of the Holy Spirit. So how much more do we need the Holy Spirit in our life? So much more. And so I encourage you to, to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal himself to you. We're looking at one thing tonight. And it's something that was prophesied. It's something that was revealed in the Old Testament. Something that you don't see come to complete and utter uh, conclusion, and it's still not concluded, but you don't really see the, the, the magnitude of what this was until you see Jesus, and you see the descending of the Holy Spirit after Jesus' ascension. And you begin to see how powerful this is. You begin to see how much greater that this is. It's what we could they could possibly understand in Nehemiah in that time. They couldn't possibly understand how awesome this is going to be. When? Now. Awesome now. We need to understand it because we're living in it. Let's look at a few verses from the New Testament. Somebody look at the Gospel of John. Chapter 14 and verse 26. John 14, 26. John 14, 26. You can read that when you get it. Okay, so just reading that verse for what it says. 
What's an advocate? Anybody know? A friend? What else? A helper? Speaks on your behalf. Represents you. Can you think about... What's another word for advocate that we use in modern language? What's that? Lawyer, you said? Who else? Companion? What did you say, Dean? Attorney? Yeah. I mean, and then we that's an advocate. And so... The advocate is, is the Holy Spirit is described as an advocate for us. Well, when would an advocate come in handy? When does that come in handy? When why why do you need an advocate? Yeah. In other words, you need somebody to help you, right? You're in trouble somehow. I mean, when do you think of lawyers and everything's going great? Probably not. You know, when do you start thinking about lawyers? I mean, when you need some, right? Something you don't know how to do. Think about it that way. So think about you know, if you're going to buy a house, okay? You need someone to read over the contract. At least it used to be in the old days. Somebody had to read over that contract looking out for your best interest and let you know if you should sign that thing or not. And I'm not suggesting you don't read it too. I'm just saying that's their job. And so you give it to them. They read the thing over. Right? Making sure your best interests are being represented in that contract and then they advise you whether or not you should enter in the contract or not, right? Because you don't know. And so you might need an advocate when you're in trouble. You might need an advocate when you don't know something. You might need an advocate when maybe something is beyond your knowledge or beyond your understanding. You call on an advocate. Maybe you are stuck somewhere. You call on an advocate. Maybe you don't know what to do next. You call on an advocate. All I'm trying to say is, is that we have all of these situations, all these circumstances within our real lives that we, we call on a lawyer every now and then. If you've been arrested, who do you need? You need a lawyer. Okay, you need an advocate. If you're going to enter into some big decision in your life, that requires all kinds of legal information and understanding. You're probably going to need a lawyer for that. If someone's taking advantage of you and you want to stop them from taking advantage of you, you may need a lawyer for that. And so I, I want to encourage you that when you find yourself in these situations, what you do, I do, you do, and if you haven't, you will. But those situations do come up. I want to encourage you to call on the Holy Spirit. Why don't you call on Him? And see what He might do in your life. And so the beginning of that verse, that's how He's described. He's the advocate. He's looking out for you. And so I want to encourage you to call on Him when you find yourself in one of those situations. Give Him a shot. See what He says. See what He does. So you read on in that verse, it talks about that He's going to teach you. Right? He's going to teach you. He's going to give you truth in your life. In what things? What's the word there? In which things? All things. That means He's concerned about you in whatever you're facing. It doesn't necessarily have to be a Jesus thing, does it? Maybe it's not a Jesus thing. Maybe it's a work thing. Maybe it's a whatever it's going to be thing. Maybe it's a school thing. Maybe it's a, I don't know. Maybe it's a relationship thing. But He's there. And He's concerned about it. And He's looking out for you. And He will teach you in those circumstances. 
What else does that mean? Well, he knows a lot about a lot, right? What if your question that you're wondering about doesn't have anything to do with the Bible? Well, he still knows about it. God is smart. You know, I don't mean to be kind of stupid about this, but I really want you to think about that. God knows stuff, like, about everything. And so you got questions about stuff, he can teach you about that. You got things that you don't understand. Well, he can reveal those things. He can show you things. He can teach you things. He can lead you in the right direction. He can put the right person in your path, maybe. Whatever it is, I have no idea, but he he, he specializes in taking care of you. And so even as you read that verse, I mean, you think about Nehemiah 9. I mean, this is a long time before John was ever written. But it was God speaking to His people and saying, this is who I am in your life. I'm going to send my good spirit to you. And He's going to teach you. So we should be fairly excited about that. Seriously. And not just ignore it. But allow Him to do what He's here to do. To represent us and to take care of us and to teach us. It's so important. Just not ignoring this, this this helper that Jesus sent for us. Can somebody look at uh, Matthew chapter 10? Matthew 10, verses 19 and 20. Matthew 10, verses 19 and 20. You can read that when you get it. Thank you. That's Matthew ten nineteen and twenty. I mean, it's nice verses though. It's M. Yeah, it's an M word. Thank you. So you look at that verse. When when when's that time? Is that good times or bad times? Bad times, right? But what does he say about bad times? He's like, all right, well, you get dragged off. You're you're arrested. You're in front of this council. He's like, well, what do you need to do? What does he say? Don't worry. Don't worry. Now that's hard, right? Not to worry. But he's like, don't worry. But he gives you a good reason not to worry. Because the Holy Spirit, the good spirit, is going to teach you what to say. You're going to say it. He'll, he'll do it. So you don't need to worry about that. And that's really what he's saying here, is you don't have to worry if you find yourself in one of those situations. Well, it's not a good situation. Well, what have we been talking about? It's not the good situation. That's not when we need to call on him. That's not, that's not when we need to, to, to really depend on him. It's like it's those times where we don't know what to do. It's those times we don't know what to say. It's those times that we find ourselves in a position where we're not too sure about what's going to happen next. We're right. Well, he specializes in that. Why not call on it? 
That's what we're instructed to do. A similar verse is in Luke 12, 12. Somebody wants to look at that. Luke 12, 12. Similar verse to what we just read. Right. At that time. Oh, you mean you don't get to know ahead of time? Maybe not. Maybe not. And so you read that, and that's kind of an important point there. He will teach you at that time. Well, that's the point of crisis. That's the point you find yourself in where you don't know what to do, you don't know where to turn, or whatever else. Well, you turn to the Holy Spirit. And so you return, you turn to Him, and what we're told through that is He will teach you at that time what you need. Well, you might not like that. Because you might be a control freak. And you want to know ahead of time. And you don't want to have to show up and not know what you're going to say. Well, sometimes you don't know what you're going to say. Sometimes you do show up and you're not sure. And so there's this thing that we talk about a lot, but when it comes right down to it, we're kind of scared of. It's called faith. Alright? And so we're believing God at His Word as to what he said he would do. What he said he would do at that time, he'll teach you and give you the words you need. That's faith. That's believing him for what he said. That's scary. We don't like that. And I know you don't, no one here is going to say, well, I don't like faith. Well, you don't. All right? And I mean, I could, I could make it nicer, I guess. But I, I think it's not really it's not really a mystery if you really think about it. I mean, think about living by faith. What does that look like? That looks like, I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent this month sometimes. What does it look like? Well, I don't know how I'm going to get my car fixed because I don't have any money in the bank. What does it look like? Well, it takes all of these forms of being, I don't know how I'm going to do this. That's why it requires faith. Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about it, and he talks about the place where faith is possible. Where's the place where faith is possible? Where you can't do it. And so you find yourself in the place you can't do it, and that's the place, the very place, where faith is possible. That's why you read a verse in Luke 12, 12, and it says, at that time. He'll give you the words. At that time, he'll address what needs to be addressed, and we are in a position, we're just going to believe him at his word, if we're going to do it. If we're not, we're not. But that's the place where faith is possible. We don't like that. We can describe, and you can run yourself in circles around what faith is, and, and, and talk about faith in all these terms, and talk about faith with all these vocabulary words. Y'all got your, you know, religious vocabulary words. You got your churchy vocabulary words. You know how to do it. But running those circles around something as simple and fundamental as faith doesn't give you more faith. But what you see faith growing in your life is when you reach a point of need that you can't meet. And that's the point where faith is possible in your life. And hopefully you take note of those times. You take note of times in your life where you believe God at something He said 
or you believe God and something He's shown you. You believe God and something you've read in the Bible, you believe it and He comes through and He does it. Hopefully you take note of that. So that the next time you find yourself in a place where faith is possible, there's a proven track record where God has come through for you and you can fall back and you can look at that and you can say, you know what, I was in this position before or I had this happen to me or something similar happened to me and He came through and I'm going to believe, I believe Him this time too. That's it. And hopefully we continually take note and don't forget you look in the Bible and you see, you think to yourself when you're reading the Bible, it's like, well, how could God's people just forget all the miracles He did in, in Egypt? How could they just forget how He provided for them? How could they just forget of His deliverance? How could they just forget that the, the people in Egypt just gave them silver and gold and stuff as they were leaving Egypt? How could they forget that stuff? Well, we can't remember stuff six months ago. And so I figured 25, 30 years down the road, maybe they didn't remember. Or a year down the road, or two years down the road. Be careful how harsh you are with the, with the people of Israel as they were crossing that wilderness. Just be careful. Because we forget stuff in a lot shorter time frame than they did. It's okay. It's okay that, they, that maybe they forgot. We're probably worse than they are. But the idea is, is that the more that we can remember, the more times that we remember God coming through, the more times that we remember just believing Him and, and, and exercising the faith that He's given us, the more times that we can do that and remember it and remember His answer and remember Him coming through for us, the easier it's going to be to believe the next time. And so remembering is important. Those are things we need to remember. Those are things that we need to take note of. Those are things that we need to grow in. As God's people. Last verse. 1 John 2.27 Not the last verse, but the last verse in this little passel of verses. 1 John Thank you. That's some bold statements in there. I mean, if you think about it, you think about our current structure. And I know we're sitting at a Bible study, I'm teaching you. Right. And if you think about our current structure of how we impart knowledge within the church, you think about it. And you think about how bold a statement this is in 1 John 2. It's a bold statement. Because he, he, he's saying to the church, and this is a general epistle that's going to a bunch of churches, and he's saying to them, you don't have any need for human teachers. There is an anointing that is on you. There is an anointing that's a part of your life, a part of your experience with God. And he has put that anointing on you, and it is through that anointing that he will teach you. And so you need to have an expectation for that. 
There's a reason we we have 30-second share times, and there's a reason we have five-minute teachings, and the reason that we do open church. Because you have an anointing. You do. And God reveals things to you, and God shows you things. And God gives you opportunity to share. And we want to give you opportunity to share what God is showing you. I have every expectation that God is revealing things to you. I want to hear about it. I have every expectation that God is teaching you. I want to be taught by that. I have every expectation that God is bringing revelation into your life. And I really want to know about it. I do. And so I do whatever I can to give you opportunity to do just that. And I think we are better, and I think we are enriched when we're able to share what God is showing us with one another. I really do. And so I encourage you more and more and more toward that, to recognize the anointing that God has put on you. To recognize the anointing that's bringing revelation into your life, that's bringing understanding into your life, that's bringing teaching, the teaching of the Holy Spirit into your life, and just begin not only to benefit from that yourself, but also to share it, and to take the opportunities to share it. And you might not be much of a public speaker. That's okay. That's why we have kinships. Or or maybe you, you, you can squeak out 30 seconds. Or you can squeak out a minute or something. Great. That's okay. You know the five-minute teachings? Five minutes is the max. If you go 30 seconds or a minute, that's even better. Good. Because sometimes it only needs to go 30 seconds or a minute. Other times it needs to go five minutes. Whatever. There's, that, that's not important. What's important is is that we're exercising the anointing. We're exercising what God is showing. We're exercising revelation in our own lives into the lives of other people. We're allowing the Holy Spirit to actually flow through us and to benefit one another, to build one another up. So God gives His Spirit and He's gracious about it. He's not holding back. He gives His Spirit in a plentiful fashion. He is it's not somehow, you know, kind of measured out. He's not measured out. He just gives his Holy Spirit. He imparts his Holy Spirit. Now you think in the Old Testament they're referring back to in Nehemiah nine, they're referring back to the wilderness. What happened in the wilderness? You had Moses who was trying to oversee and he was trying to judge and he was trying to to bring order to like a million people. And, and it just wasn't happening. It wasn't happening. Because he, he couldn't. He physically couldn't do it. And his father-in-law saw that. And he said, you got to get help. you got to do something else. And the Bible describes what he did. And that is he, he got 70 elders. And God took the spirit that was on Moses. And he divided it up among the 70 elders. And then they were anointed of the same Spirit, and they went out and they were able to bring order and to judge the people far more effectively than Moses could do all by himself. 
And so there's this idea that comes out of that. It's like, well, there's only so much Holy Spirit and we're all getting it divided amongst ourselves. Well, that's not how it works. That's not how He works. That's not how this whole thing works. And He's the same Spirit that anointed Jesus of Nazareth. That same Holy Spirit is in you. No more, no less in you. Because that's how He works. See, it's kind of nice when you're working with an infinite and eternal being. That He doesn't have to divide up. That whatever, He just pours out. Well, how much? All of Him. In you? Yeah. How about me? Yeah, all of Him. You know, that's a, that's a creature, a, a, a being that can, I shouldn't say creature, being that can be everywhere all the time. That's a being that's all-powerful. That's a being that knows everything all the time. And so, because he can be everywhere at once, he can occupy every point at the same time, he can be fully in you, fully in me, fully in the next person, and there is no division. None. And so, conceptually, I hope you can get a hold of that. Why is that important? Because that's why we have an expectation. Jesus said, you've seen the things I've done, you'd go out and you'd do even greater, or greater in number. Because there's more of us. There's more of us that are anointed of the same Spirit that He was. There's more of us that is anointed the same measure of the same Spirit that He was. And so we can do greater. How? Because it's just more of us. Simple. That statement makes no sense in any other context. Just think about it. You've seen the things I've done, now go do greater. How could that make any sense in any context except for, and the word he uses there for greater is more in number. What, what are we going to break Jesus' record? You know, am I going for more healings? No, I'm not. Am I going for more deliverances? No, I'm not. But I do know that the millions of people that have lived and have died since Jesus, that were anointed of the Holy Spirit in the same measure that He was, over time have seen more healings and more deliverances over that time. I do know that. That's the way it only makes sense. And so we take our part in whatever God has for us. We take our part. He gives His Spirit graciously in parts, in plenty. And so, what does He teach us? He teaches us His ways. He teaches us His purposes. He teaches us His will. You know, what we know about it is that, according to this verse, His Spirit is good. He's good. And you find that phrase in Psalm 143.10. You see it there. And that's where he refers to his spirit being his good spirit in another place in the Old Testament. But this spirit is the spirit of prophecy. And why that's important, because it's the spirit of prophecy where we understand more of God. We can make accurate decisions. And we can actually influence people and lead them. Well, I'm not really a good leader. That's okay. The Holy Spirit, He equips us to lead. Well, I never know what to say. Well, that's okay because the Holy Spirit, at that time, will give you the words to say. Well, I mean, I don't even know. You know, I have trouble making decisions and. I never know, you know, what to decide, and it's hard for me. Well, that's okay, because the Holy Spirit 
who is in you without measure can help you in the decisions that you need to make. It's so hard for us not to look at the outside of people. We look at people from the outside, even ourselves. We look at ourselves from the outside and say, there's no way I could ever do that. Yeah, you're, you're probably right. But the Holy Spirit can do that through you. Because He's been given to you without measure. I, I can't tell you the number of people that I have poured into and, and discipled because of that principle. That everybody else, nobody else would have done that. And I know that sounds like I'm tooting my own horn, but I'm not. I'm just telling you that's the way it is. Because God doesn't really look at us the way that we look at each other. God doesn't see us the way that we see each other. God doesn't see you the way you see yourself. We're so prone to look on the outward. We're so prone to look at you know, the, the, the things that everybody can see, but God can see in you. He sees your heart. There's one thing I know of. One thing I know of that God honors in our life. And it's the one thing I have to see to pour into somebody and it's that you're faithful. That's it. You want, you want to, whatever God has for you, you just need to be faithful. You just need to be faithful. Just show up. Okay? You just got to show up. You don't need to be smart. You just got to show up. You don't need to be the most gifted. You got to show up. You don't have to be uh, one of the beautiful people. You don't. You just have to show up. Just show up. And and that's what God looks, that's what God honors, that's what God recognizes in us. Just show up. And the Holy Spirit that's given without measure, He He can do the rest through us. As we yield and we say, God, have your way. Interestingly, in this verse, it, it talks about how God gives us Holy Spirit, but it uses two things. He says, God feeds us. God feeds his people. And he used the example of manna in the wilderness. And, it, and you think about God fed those people from the time they left Egypt until they were on the border of Canaan. Every day. Every day. I mean, they gathered two days on, on Friday. But you understand what I'm saying. They had enough food to eat every single day. Miraculously, they got food every day. And you think about how, you know, when you first start getting something miraculous like that, you look at that and say, this is a real miracle. This is awesome. We're living in a wilderness and we're being fed. We're given food every single day. And you think about how awesome that is. But then what happens over time? What happens to them? What they look at? They're like, oh, they're still getting fed, right? Well, they looked at what they weren't getting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like they had the younger sibling uh, syndrome, okay? They weren't looking at what they were getting. No offense to younger siblings, but they weren't looking at what they were getting. They were looking at what they didn't have. That's why they started complaining. Oh, we should go back to Egypt because, you know, we had garlic. They didn't have any garlic. Leeks. They didn't have any leeks. We had meat and fish to eat. You know, we don't have any of that. What do they have? Stupid manna. Well, stupid manna was uh, a supernatural provision, right? Because you get out in the wilderness, man, there ain't nothing to eat. You know, you got those stupid, like, crab spiders running around. You don't want to eat that. What else you want to eat out there? Nothing. 
So you got this manna showing up every day. You go out and you gather it. You can mill it and you can cook it and you can eat it. And you get enough for just the day and then the next day you go out, you gather it, you mill it, you cook it and you eat it. On Fridays you go out, you get two portions, mill it, cook it and eat it and you got enough for both days. Alright? So, miraculous. So what's the, what am I telling you through that? Be careful. Be careful not to despise God's provision in your life. Because it's easy to do. It's easy to forget God has provided for you supernaturally. And you start thinking about what you don't have instead of what you do have. And that is dangerous. It's dangerous to despise God's provision for you. It really is. Because there are miraculous things that God's done done in your life. And and His things that He's given you. And here's the really... This is the thing about God. The manna was prepared by God Himself and given by Him into their lives. I mean, that's... That's the personal God who took care and continued to take care of His people. You see, He gave them their portion. And that was what He gave them. It was their portion. That was the gift of the Lord. So I want to encourage you not to despise your portion. It's not. And, And really to keep yourself and to stop yourself Stop it. Stop your brain. Stop yourself from dwelling on what you don't have. And really dwell on your portion as a gift from the Lord. Because that that will change your perspective. Change your perspective vitally. You might even see yourself lifting out of whatever sadness or depression you might be finding yourself in. Because all of a sudden you're not focusing on what's not there, but you're really majoring on what is there. You're finding joy and finding peace and finding rest in your portion. Because chances are, if God himself has prepared it, and if God himself has given it to you, then your portion is good. And you should see it that way. It's good. It's good. The second thing he mentions in this is that God gives us water. So, not only does he feed us in the midst where there's no food, and he gives us our portion in the midst of no food. The, the, The next part of this verse talks about how he gives us water. Now listen to this. He gives us water for our thirst. He doesn't give you water to pour out on the ground. He gives you water for your thirst. There's an important distinction with that. We live in a land of plenty. We throw out more food than most countries even, you know, depending on where they are, but a lot of our developing countries, than they even have. We just throw it in the garbage. And if you're a certain age or if your parents were a certain age when you were growing up 
they didn't they took every opportunity to make you feel guilty about that too right right you know because you don't want to eat something and say well I bet there's a kid it used to be Ethiopia because they were having the famine there I bet you there's a kid in Ethiopia who loved to eat that liver and onions or whatever it was you know so whatever you didn't want to eat right so you know that would make you feel guilty that's, that's not what I'm trying to do but I just want you to hear me that God's provision over our lives he gives us food that's our portion that's the gift of the Lord well he also satisfies our thirst now this is the distinction he gives us water for our thirst so in other words what do you need he doesn't give you water to satisfy your need to have extra water so you feel in extra control. Alright? Because, because you think about the manna, he only gave him enough for one day. If they tried, and, and sure enough, they tested him on that. They tried to collect more manna, right? Because that's human nature. I'm going to store it up so I have extra so they could be in control of how much food they had, right? In the food stores. Well, it just rotted. They try to collect it, it just rots. He warned them. He's like, don't do that because it's going to rot on you. Well, he did it anyway. They did it anyway because that's how strong that drive is in us. So he gave them enough for one day. How much water did he give them? Whatever would satisfy the thirst. That's what he gave them. And so there wasn't this idea of, I'm going to store it up so that I can feel good about tomorrow. We can feel good about tomorrow because we have a God who gives us our portion tomorrow. We can feel good about tomorrow because we have a God who has prepared our portion himself and given us our portion himself. It's a gift, and he's given us that gift. When? Today. But what about tomorrow? It ain't today yet. And I've been asked about this recently. There's a sign up in the conference room. If you've never been in the conference room, there's some pictures you know, of the church at different stages. And there's a sign over to the left. It's a beer ca- uh, beer bottle cap. If you've ever been in there, you should see it. It says this, free beer tomorrow. Yeah, that's the promise, right? I grew up with that sign. Not the beer cap, but a sign outside of a bar in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Every time we'd go to Myrtle Beach, usually if I was going to the pavilion or I was going somewhere near that bar, I would see that sign. And I'd ask my grandpa, what does that mean? He's like, you need to figure that out. He didn't tell me what it meant. He said, you need to figure it out. You're going to figure it out one day. Free beer tomorrow. And so I remember as a little kid trying to figure it out. I'm trying to cipher out, okay, well, free beer tomorrow. How's that? You know, why is that a joke? Why is that weird, you know? And there came a day. I don't know. It was a day of revelation. It came to me. Tomorrow never comes. Because when it's tomorrow, then it's today. Got to pay. Sorry. Free beer tomorrow, though. You come on back. It's a joke. And if we live that way, we're missing today. And follow me on this. The promise of tomorrow is free beer. But when we get to tomorrow, it's just today. You follow me? It's just still today. And we live in today. You can't live in the past, right? That's no way to live. Probably not in a good state of mind if you're just living in the past. You can't live in tomorrow because tomorrow never turns out the way you think it's supposed to. And that can lead to all kinds of mental and 
depressive issues in our life that, oh, I had all of these ideas about what tomorrow is supposed to be. We show up. I mean, for instance, i got free beer coming tomorrow. It's going to be a great day. And you show up for the free beer. No, it's today. Still today. We've got today. And, and I think it's important, especially as God's people, but I think it's just important for human beings to live in today. I don't think our brains are real good at living in the past. I don't think our brains are real good about living in the future. But I think we've been created to, and our brains are really good at living in today. And so I encourage you toward that. I encourage you in living in today and allowing God to meet your thirst today, to meet your hunger today. This, this passage refers to the last rock that was struck for them. And that's in Numbers chapter 20. But I want you to understand how many times they failed. Just understand it. They failed over and over and over again. How many times they provoked the Lord in the wilderness? Many. Not once, not twice, lots of times. They provoked him in the wilderness. And I'll tell you something about the God we know. If you don't know him this way, you should. He never, ever forsook them. Ever. Never. No matter how many times, no matter how many circumstances that they provoked him, he never, ever forsook them. And you know what? He delivered them right to where he told them he'd deliver them. He provided food for them every day, and he provided water to meet their thirst every time. Because that's the God we serve. And if your God doesn't line up with that, you may want to change your mind. You may want to change your mind. Because likely, if your God doesn't line up with the God who never leaves us or forsakes us, if your God doesn't line up, even that mean God of the Old Testament... Which he wasn't. But if you can't get, wrap your head around that, likely your faith is suffering. It's just suffering. Because if God's faithfulness to you depends on your perfection, he's never faithful. You follow that? Because you're not perfect. You're never perfect. And so if you, in your brain somehow you're thinking, well, God's faithfulness to me you know, well, I wasn't faithful to him. Well, no kidding. No kidding. I understand that. So does he. And you think about these people over and over and over and over again provoking him. I mean, think about the golden calf. That That's a lot of provoking. I mean, you had Moses go up on a mountain. He's up there for 40 days. They see the lightnings. They see the thunders. And instead of waiting on him to come down with, with God's will, his plan, his law for them, they make a golden calf and he comes down and there aren't all kinds of debauchery and dancing around it. That's provoking. That is provoking. And he had done all that, but did he stop feeding them? No. Did he stop giving them water? No. Did he still take care of them? Yeah. Did he lead them eventually to where they were going to go? Absolutely he did. Because that's the God we serve. And so your God, that you're in your brain, that God you see, needs to line up with that somehow. You've got to allow for the fact that maybe somebody lied to you. 
about failure. I mean, really. Somebody lied to you about provocations through your life. Somebody lied to you. You gotta come to that. Maybe they were well-meaning people. They didn't mean to lie. Maybe they're just mistaken, or maybe they're just confused. All right, you gotta make some kind of provision for that in your life. That there's a, a revelation that God brings. That's an obvious revelation from the Old Testament and from the New Testament. Obvious. And begin to allow for a change in your mind. For 40 years, God sustained them. They lacked nothing. You know their clothes never wore out? 40 years? 40 years. Never wore out. He took care of them. How many times did they provoke him? Lots of times. Their clothes never wore out? No. How about their shoes? Never wore out. Took care of them. Food, water, clothing. Took care of them the whole time. And regardless of anything else that they faced, anything else they went through, they always knew that their necessities, their needs, their thirst, and their hunger were always taken care of. He loves them. God never, anything about the pillar, fire, cloud, sitting on day or night, never withdrew his presence from me. Never. He's not going to withdraw his presence from you. And I know David prayed a prayer, but David isn't God. And just maybe when David prayed that prayer, he was in anguish, and maybe he wasn't seeing things exactly for as they were. You ever let that be a possibility? Ever? Because that's maybe God revealed himself now. And he still doesn't. If I just confused you, forget I said that. It was meant to straighten something out if it's your brain like that. I'm going to take a moment and I'm going to encourage you to respond. Uh, yeah, you, we all come into this with ideas. We all come into this with the way we see things, our perspectives. That's all right, man. You own it. Okay, that's your perspective. All I'm trying to do is nudge you maybe towards something a little more healthy. That's all. Own your perspective. Own the way you see things. That's yours. I'm just trying to nudge you a little closer to what God revealed to Reveal yourself as in the scriptures. And let that begin to form in you. A God who loves you. A God who teaches you. A God who brings you into a, a greater understanding of who he is. I mean, that's the process we're in tonight, isn't it? But a God who meets your hunger. Who meets your thirst. And a God who never withdraws his presence from you. To begin to believe him at his word. Exercise the faith. Even a mustard seed, the smallest of seeds, a mustard seed of faith. So are you in a place where faith is possible right now? Let's exercise that mustard seed of faith and believe God in His Word. See what happens? See what happens? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love us I thank you for time and time and time again that you, you never leave us, you never forsake us. I thank you, God, that you're a God who provides for his people. I thank you that 
that we can look at the birds of the air you, you provide for them you know how many hairs are on our heads that you care about us you love us that you have a deep and abiding care for us and I thank you for that I thank you that you revealed yourself this way Old Testament, New Testament you revealed yourself over and over again in the Old Testament you revealed yourself over and over again in the New Testament I thank you, God, that this is just who you are. That you didn't somehow change. But you don't change. You don't change. And so the same God that shows himself, the same God that reveals himself, that's who you are. Whether we're reading it before the Gospel of Matthew or reading it afterwards. I give you thanks tonight for your love. I give you thanks for your mercy. I give you thanks for your grace. And I pray that we would allow for change in our minds tonight. Change in our hearts. Change in our spirit. Change in our soul. For God, I ask that faith would be activated in us. To believe you. We're going to believe you for today. We're going to believe you for your provision. We're going to believe you, God, for what you said is done. In Jesus' name. I pray, God, that you would help us on our journeys. My journey, your journey, my journey, his journey, her journey. Thank you for meeting our hunger. Thank you for meeting our thirst. Thank you for always being there. <coughs> I give you thanks. I give you praise tonight. As you say, in Jesus' name. Amen. The UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool. You mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the community dad. Yeah, so a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of Chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah.